Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by the inspirational Jazz Ampor Farr. Jazz is a CEO, TEDx and keynote speaker, and has an inspirational story, and there's so many elements that we can take into our working and home lives. Now, the one thing I want to mention before diving into today's podcast is there is a trigger warning around domestic abuse. Welcome to today's podcast, Jazz. Hello, Jazz. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Yeah, really good to see you as well. So um, today we're going to be talking all things culture and belonging um, within organisations and how this ties into well-being as well. Um, I've been very fortunate to hear your story and been very, very moved from your story. Would you just be able to share a little bit about your, your background, your story to today's listeners? Yeah, I, I always hate, I don't want to say I was born a poor black child, but I was. I grew up in foster care. I was abused by my parents. Um, I was pretty much a hateful person. I, I just didn't want to be alive. I didn't, I didn't, I hated myself, hated everyone else. I really struggled to build relationships. I spent time on the streets and we lived in a squat. So I, I was kind of nobody's child. I was just broken as a person. And because of like, five everyday heroes I call them adults education they were in school sort of standing with me um believing in me before I believed in myself um seeing a vision beyond what I believed was possible gradually over time my trajectory changed my life changed and instead of becoming the statistic I was designed to be I went on to become the phenomenal human female you see today CEO international keynote speaker author resilience ninja and also Lincoln Croissant Eating Champion 1992. I like to get that in. So and I'm not being blase about it. It is truly miraculous. And in my TEDx talk, you can see kind of the journey fleshed out a bit. But it's, it's, I should be dead. I mean, I should be lost in a world of sexual exploitation. And I, I'm not. And it's because, of the, it's because of the difference that one or two other people made. You mentioned these other people. Do you mind just sharing the yeah what they did um, to be able to support you to what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Because it sounds small. It, it sounds like they did something big, but actually it was tiny things. It was all about relationship. They were like human first and teacher second. So there was five teachers. The first one, Mrs. Cook, I had when I was six. And she just, you know, believed in you and made you. She used to say, where are my authors? Where are my engineers? Because she just expected us to do well. She gave me such a kind of great grounding that when I was 11 and I ended up on the streets, I'd run away from home. I was being sexually abused by my stepdad and I found out that's how you get pregnant. And I just left. And I was literally three days I lasted on the streets. And I I ended up living with a guy who turned out to be a pimp and he took me shopping. And I stood in this changing room six years after I'd been in the class where Mrs. Cook taught me. And I knew I was in danger, but I, I was 11. I didn't have the words. And I, my brain sort of remembered what a good adult looked like. And Mrs. Cook wouldn't wear the clothes that he'd sent me in to try on. And that was enough. I left. I walked out the change room, handed myself into a police station. Obviously went into foster care and there was a whole world of stuff. It's, it's not happy ever after Cinderella ending. There's more to it. But it's the difference that you make when you're not even in the room. That's the mark of a great leader. And so she was one, the first one of several. And she did nothing more than encourage me. Mr. Williams stood for me and by me. Mr. Simpson asked me how I was every day. These are like basic things, but they make a massive difference when no one else is doing that. I think that's such a strong message for anyone in the workplace, but beyond in society as well, mm. is the impact that we can have on other people. You're doing a lot of work in schools now as well with as, as organisations and leading organisations. Can you just share a little bit about that with, uh, with our listeners today? 
Yeah, my biggest thing is on inviting people to join the human revolution, which sounds like a lot of hard work, especially on a Tuesday. But the whole point is, is acknowledging that we're human first and everything else second. And that's a really important message because when we try and um, like uh, someone called it the war on, on hiring the other day and when we're talking about the great resignation, what we're actually able to do without very much effort is meet people where they are is empathise, engage, and then enrol someone. So what I do with organisations and leaders is look at how can we do that? How can we serve the society and the, the situation without sacrificing your own soul? It's not about giving yourself away. It is about building a scalable and sustainable way of being rather than well-being is a way of being for me, building a way of being that you can sustain so everyone can turn up at work where they spend so much of their time as their full fat self and not turning the volume down on who they are in order to try and get through the day. You know, we deserve better and we can have better, but it requires us being a bit more 10% braver than we were the day before. And how important is it for senior leadership? Does it all filter down from your opinion from them and through to the line managers down or does it foster from a bottom up? No, I've been doing this for 28 years and you can, I have things that I give, I have resources that I give to people, but I have never seen an organisation culture change until the SLT are living it. I'm not just buying into it, not just tick boxing it, actually living it. Like I want to see the CAO going, oh, it's Friday, five o'clock. So long suckers, I've got a life outside this place. <laughs> you need to model it. You can't just, you can't say I care about your well-being and then send me an email at half 11 at night. It's like pick a side. So it requires a lot more than lip service, which is why I call it a way of being. And it's always with the senior leadership when they are on board, when they are when they are making the mistakes and when they are being seen as being courageous in the tiniest of ways, that has a lot of influence on the people who you influence and lead. I love that message. And you just live and breathe it, which I absolutely love um, in terms of this topic. Now, I'm going to just uh, rewind a little bit. And anyone would think the story that you've been through and the, the trials and tribulations, the things that you've had to overcome, you would have a level of resentment towards other people in society. Can you just share a little bit about your thinking around that? Because I find it absolutely fascinating having met you before with your approach to all of this. This is, I've got to stress, this is purely selfish, right? It's about survival. I have tried hating my parents, society, the social workers that let me down. I've tried that. It sucks. Okay. And I am, I am more, I'm more, I'm more invested in my own well-being and way of being than I am everything else. So I, I've tried being depressed. I've tried being not wanting to be alive. I've tried. They all suck. What I do now is I make a choice and it is not I'm making it out to be easy. It's a choice I make every morning. I choose to stand on the truth about myself and to be grateful for what I have and to live as if I have the world at my fingertips because I have. But that is because I've done the work. It's not like I work up one day and go, oh, I know. Let's just be OK with it. I, there is when I do keynotes, people talk about a lack of hatred and humor and humility and all those things are there, but it's a result of doing the work. So I know like I, often I say, you know, I want I want things to be better. Everyone wants things to be better, but everyone's scared of things changing. I want things to be better and I want things to change more than I want to be right and justified. And I want to be right and justified so much. Like my husband will fill you in on how much I want to be right, <laughs> but I want change more. It's Sometimes it's only a smidgen more, but check, that's the big game. That's the thing that I want. I, I want things to be better and that comes at a cost. And it's not me sitting on a park bench shouting at people. That doesn't affect change. So you've got a, you've got a person up in order to bring about the change that you want to see. So I kind of feel like it's the, it's the, it's the option that I tried that worked. 
I'm making it sound simple. It's so much more complicated than this, but it's it choice. It's it is a choice. So the practicalities of change, because we all know people within our lives that we don't agree with their certain views around the world yeah. and whether that's political or societal or, or anything else, whether that's parenting styles, for example. Um, there's a lot of disagreement and judgment in the world at the moment. How would mm-hmm. you encourage people in a practical way to go about change if they're wanting to change and get someone else to see a different perspective? Yeah. Everything you want is on the other side of a 10 minute courageous conversation, whether that's with a partner or, or a boss, everything you want requires you to have more courage. Now, look, I can't, I tick a lot of boxes, you know, brown, working class at birth, like female, you know, look a bit like Beyonce. I took a lot of, <laughs> tick a lot of minority boxes, but I can't, I, I can't, I know that people have assumptions and stuff about me, but I can't be all of the things that people think I am. So I do me. And then if other people don't like it, that's fine. Don't work with me. I mean, you'll be miserable if you don't like me and work with me. I'll feel bad. So let's not do it. At the same time, there are levels of people. If so, if like I'm sitting down with someone from the Ku Klux Klan, they probably don't want to have a courageous conversation. And I have to choose who I invest my time in. So, for example, I've, I've got five brothers and sister, one sister, four brothers and one sister. Um, you know, they've got different views to me. A couple of them are members of Britain first and, uh, you know, feel that immigration is gone to cotton. And I'm brown. So this makes for interesting Christmases. But I will invest in those people because they're part of my family. They're kids that I fought for, the highest good for. And I will have those conversations, even though it requires courage and sustaining of pain a lot of the time. I can't take on the whole world. But if if my, if I don't gift 30 minutes of my time to have a conversation with them about how a different view might be, how are they ever going to get it? Because my brother, he he's works on a building site. Everyone he knows is like him. They go to the pub at night. They, drink, they That's his whole world. So who is going to stand up and go, you know what, the jokes we tell that have got a racist and sexist overtone, maybe we should think about it and maybe we shouldn't be quite so homophobic now and again. It's not going to happen in that vacuum. So it's my thing is that if we just ignore it or cancel it or shout at them, that doesn't cause change. So what do you want more? Do you want change or do you want to be justified in being right? Because right now that's what we've got and it's, things aren't changing fast enough. So <laughs> we should try another way. And one of the ways I do with that is I, I gift people. I literally have on my website, 30 minute courageous conversations where I've said to people, if you want to have one with me, I'm more than happy to do it. And it's, it, we'll ask each other daft things and, and it's fine. It's fine not to know which headgear, the names of the headgear that Muslim women wear. It's fine not to know. But once you've asked and found out, you really, you know, that's a great platform to stand on rather than go, you can't keep making the same mistakes. It's okay to get it wrong, be a mistake artist, but you've, once you've kind of said, okay, so how do I level up? How do I, how do I change? How do I learn a bit about that? That's when you start setting yourself bigger goals. But it's you, I'm not saying you should do it with everyone. I'm just saying that I have seen people's hearts and minds transformed by meeting people where they are. And I guess something that's really important within there is curiosity and the capacity mm. to wanting to change. Again, yeah. for those individuals, and this is a, a question that I'm really keen to explore with you uh, from a personal standpoint. For those individuals, how do we enable them to be curious, to take that first step, to have that courageous conversation? It's every time you feel fear, or judgment every time you th- oh that's because that every time fear or judgment use those as triggers to swap fear or judgment for curiosity like i'm i'm sitting watching in nando's watching some table where all the kids are on ipads and because i'm super judgy i'm like oh my gosh ed look at that don't actually look just look they're all on ipads oh, they're, they're. and then i realize ed's not listening and i turn around and notice that ed and my three kids are all on their phones but i'm too busy judging this family i know nothing about to notice what's happening in my own booth and that's the whole thing. Whenever you like, ah, oh, jump to judgment there, I could swap that for curiosity. 
And that's the trigger I use because I'm super judgy, super judgy. You know, don't be near me at a buffet taking too much food because you'll get it in the neck. So I use that as a judgment, as a, as a, a platforming to like, let's, let's, what, what if I swap judgment or fear for curiosity rather than, oh, I can't do it. It's like, what would it look like if I could? It's just allowing yourself to step outside what you believe is possible, your garden of possibility into a whole world of, of different perspectives that can be accessed. We have so much agency and half the time we kind of turn the volume down on ourselves and live in a world of, well, I can't because this. We let fear drive the bus and it's eradicating that. This is, uh, that's what I've done and this is what it looks like when, when, when you're not afraid. I'm ge- I, know, I am genuinely not afraid, which means I make mistakes all the time, but I know how to reframe and come back and I've got that process down. So I'm not, I'm not scared of getting it wrong and that's what happens when you remove fear. You find capacity for courage. Absolutely love that message, Jazz. So I'm so glad that our listeners have been able to have uh, 12 minutes of your energy, enthusiasm (laughs) and expertise and insights. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today, Jazz, and I can't wait to continue this conversation offline. My pleasure. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.